Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Our Simple Church shindig, all right? All right, well, let's jump into what we're doing today. We are in this series called The Book of James, and typically as a church, what we like to do is we like to grab subjects or topics, and we like to preach from all different kinds of places in the Bible uh, about that particular subject. But with this series, what we're doing is we've grabbed a book, or what this was originally was a letter from James, and we are going through it chapter by chapter. Now, we're not doing verse by verse, because that we'd be in this book for a really, really long time, and it's got some great Great nuggets of Christian wisdom in it that you can apply to your life, and I want to encourage you to make sure you read it. But what we are doing is grabbing chunks of verses out of it, and we're looking at the topics that it speaks to and preaching from that. And so uh, James, uh, the book of James was written by uh, James, not the disciple James, but James, the brother of Jesus. And uh, this is a, an incredible testament that Jesus was who he said he was, because James was his brother. And, you know, initially, his, Jesus' his whole family was like, dude, you, oh, come on, we know who you are, Jesus. Like, we grew up with you. Like, seriously. Somebody pointed out in between services, could you imagine having been Jesus' brother? You know, Mary looking at you and be like, come on, James, can't you just be more like Jesus? Like, seriously. Eh, oh. But James, James eventually converted and placed his faith in Jesus as the Christ, even though initially he did not. And so I think that's a great testament that Jesus was who he said he was, because even his brother bought in. And so <coughs> James is writing this letter, and he's writing it to Jewish believers who were scattered because they were being persecuted for putting their faith in Jesus. And, uh, and so he's, this letter was being passed around from church to church, and it was, again, to teach them everyday wisdom for their Christian lives. In fact, the book of James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament, which is a book of wisdom from the Old Testament. And so uh, anyway, what we're doing is we're, we're looking at this, and so last week we started, and um, we were in the first chapter of James, and last week I was unable to be here uh, because I was going through, uh, I had kidney stones, and uh, I, on Saturday night I called our Connect pastor, I said, hey man, I'm, I'm headed to the hospital, and uh, something's going down, and I don't know what's going to happen here, so I'll call you in the morning, you may be in, and so at 5 a.m. I let him know, Tim, tag, you're in, and he hadn't even looked at the notes or any of the message, and I think he did an incredible job. In fact, I just want to say, yeah, <clears throat> thank you to, uh, to Tim, but also thank you to the entire team, our directors, and everybody who just, if you were here last week and it was your first time, you probably didn't, you probably wouldn't have even noticed unless they told you that I wasn't here, because everything went off and went really, really well, and so I'm thankful for my team and for all of you, so thank you for being a blessing in my life. But, but Tim spoke on the subject of trials. Because the book of James opens up with a greeting. He's like, hello, everybody. But then he gets in and says, count it all joy when you go through different trials because God's at work doing something. I don't know about you, but this past week has been a bit of a trial for me. Not only did I have kidney stones this past Saturday, but I was sick several days before, and that, that cold has lasted all week long. And then, and then my air conditioner wasn't working. It was 82, 83 degrees in my house this week because the weather decided to finally be nice. And 
And then, and then one of my toilets broke, and people in my house insisted on continuing to use said toilet, which was a lot of fun to try to fix that situation. And if you've ever had that happen, you know that that's a pretty uh, crappy situation to deal with. Yeah, that was a pun. Sorry. I didn't, yeah, it's, uh, and so, so not, only, not only did that happen, but the worst situation happened. Uh, my wife left me on, on Monday and went to Las Vegas to celebrate her birthday with her family. And so I was a single parent all week long. So on top of all this stuff that was going on in our personal lives and in our home, I was bereft of my partner. And uh, that was probably the worst thing to happen. But I'm Glad she got to enjoy herself, but, but I've gone through some trials this week. Anybody identify? You've got some trials going on in your life, and it's really hard when James says, hey, count it joy because you know God's working on something. So if you missed that message and you'd like to be angry at the Bible too, go ahead and listen to that because that's a tough one to listen to. It's like, man, you want me to be happy? It's difficult. So take a listen to it. It'll be a blessing to you in the end. We understand God is in control, and, and he's good, and he's, and he's doing it to bless us, and so... Uh, This week, what we're going to do is we're going to jump into chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 13, and let's just jump off. James says, my dear brothers and sisters, so he starts off with a great greeting. It's like, hey, man, that makes me feel good. What's up, bro? How can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? And now you're stopping. You're like, man, I I was down with this letter, and now the tone of it's kind of taking a twist. Why are you getting in my business, James? James is addressing the topic of discrimination. And that's what we're going to talk about today. He's talking about how, hey guys, this is prevalent in our community and it ought not be. The situation where we give favor and we give honor to some people over the others. We discriminate. We're kind to some or we ignore others. And James is coming at this and he's pretty hard hitting in what he has to say about it. But I think we're all guilty of discrimination. I know for sure that that I am guilty of it. I'm, I meet all kinds of people from various backgrounds with different likes and interests, and I judge them based on that. Like, I cannot believe <coughs> that there are people out there that don't like Chipotle. That doesn't make any sense to me. How can you not like Chipotle? There are other people, I love coffee. I like it in all of its forms and all of its fashions. And I meet people who go like, no, nah, I'm more of a tea person. I don't really like coffee. And then our, our ability or our potential for friendship diminishes greatly because you don't like coffee. I might lose a little respect for you, although you can win some points by saying, well, I don't like the taste, but I do like the smell. All right, I can see you. I see you. And then the worst of all is when you, I find out you're a Michigan fan. I discriminate a little bit if that's the case. But we all discriminate. We discriminate based on people's choices, We discriminate based on people's lifestyle, the way that they live, and the values that they have. And James has some tough things to say about this discrimination. In fact, he gives an example and says, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting, in other words, your church service, dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. (coughs) If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, You can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guarded by evil motives or or that are guided by evil motives? Ouch, James, ouch. What's he saying? Well, let me explain it to you in our culture. 
Here is a church when you are a brand new person and you walk through our doors, not just our parking team and our guest services team jump on you and go, you're new here. Hey, let me love you. Let me show you around. Let me give you a tour. But everybody jumps in on that. If we notice a new person, we go up and introduce ourselves. It's just part of our culture. It's who we are. New people are like, this is the strangest church I've ever been to. You're supposed to leave me alone. I'm new here. Don't you know that I'm just shopping and checking this place out? That's not what we do. And we go, hey, let me show you around. Let me give you a tour. Let me show you where the coffee is. Let me show you where the restrooms are. If you got kids, let me help you get connected. Get your kids checked in. Let me, let me introduce you to some other people. Maybe I can come and sit with you. You know, the, we host people. We treat them like guests in our home. But James is saying, imagine this. Maybe that's your culture, except that you only do it to people that walk through the doors of the church that look like they got it all together. The people that have their, their hair cut just so, and they're wearing nice clothes. Now, we don't wear suits around here, but you know, you just look like you washed your clothes, and, and you look like you've had a bath at least in the last couple days, and, 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 and you're clean, and your breath smells good, and you don't smell like, you know, three-day-old Chipotle. Or so I'm just saying, I don't know. You, you, just, you just look like you got it together, and you, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'm going to be nice to you. But if you come walking through our doors, James is saying, if somebody walks through your doors, who looks like they're poor, they look, their clothes are dirty, they smell like they haven't had a bath in weeks, they look like it too, their hair is a mess, they look dirty themselves and, and look like they might have slept in their car and their clothes, their clothes are, are in shambles and ripped and torn and that person walks in and you go, hi, welcome to Simple Church. He's saying if you treat one person a certain way because of some external reason and another this is coming from an evil motive within your heart. All discrimination flows from an evil motive. And so today we're going to talk about the issues of discrimination. We're going to talk about how it happens. And then I'm going to share with you how we eliminate it from our hearts and our lives. But the first thing James wants us to know is that discrimination <clears throat> is favoring people for selfish reasons. Discrimination is favoring people for selfish reasons. James gives the, that example of, hey, somebody wealthy coming in. You're looking at them because they look like they got it all together. They look wealthy. And y'all know when you see a wealthy person, man, you want to get close to that person. Why? Not because you like who they are, but because you might like their stuff. I mean, they might got a boat in a place in Florida where you can go for summer and vacation, Right? But you don't look the same way at the poor person. Poor person walks in. They don't have anything to offer. And so you discriminate against them. You don't treat them the same way. And this discrimination comes from a motive or a heart that says, what can they do for me? It's a selfish motivation. We've all been there. We, we discriminate in a lot of different ways. One of the ways you've probably discriminated if this week is if somebody ever cuts you off in traffic. You immediately discriminate. You might raise your fist. You might even raise a finger after you've raised that fist. And you shout and scream at them, and then you proceed to tell everybody in, a car, in the car what a moron that person is for cutting you off. They shouldn't be driving. Can you believe that men are the worst drivers? Women are the worst drivers. That old person shouldn't be on the road. Look, that kid shouldn't even have its life. We just go off. We discriminate. Well, that woman in Walmart whose kid is losing their ever-loving mind. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't be so holy and religious up in here. 
You look at them like, are you kidding me? Your kid is screaming his head off. Are you deaf? They might be. (laughs) Are you kidding me? How are you going to let them continue to make a scene? See, me, I came to Walmart for some time of peace because that's where I go. Walmart. (laughs) I want some quiet. And I left my kids at home because I respect everyone else. (laughs) And you brought your kid to Walmart and he's screaming, making a scene. It's bothering me. See, we have selfish motives. We discriminate against people because of how it's impacting and affecting us. Only consider ourselves. Discrimination flows from a place of selfishness. Another thing I want you to see is that discrimination comes in many different forms. The, one, the example that James gave is a social form of discrimination. He's talking about a social situation where you're favoring people that have power, position, or stuff and wealth, things that we want. Years ago, I went to Disney World. And I called up my buddy who lived in Orlando, and I said, hey, Mike, I'm coming down. I want to make sure we're staying at this hotel, and after we get done at the park, I want to make sure I have an opportunity to hang out with you. He said, you're going to Disney World? I said, yeah. He said, you know, I used to work there. And I said, I didn't. He said, you know what we can do? He said, if you're going to Disney, he said, I'll meet you there at the gates. He said, I'll call out one of my friends, and they'll give you guys free hopper passes to every park. And I said, hang on, Mike. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Mm. Some favor right there. Tweeted it out, hashtagged it and everything. And then I picked up the phone, Mike, are you kidding? He said, no, no, we'll take care of it. So I went down and I hung out with Mike, my friend. And he blessed us. And if you all know, if you ever been to the park down there, you know how expensive it is for a family of five, let alone hopper passes to all the parks. And he got us in that day and blessed us. And man, I came home shouting God's praises like, because I had a moment of favor that I did not expect and all my friends back home, they were like, hey, can you, uh, can you hook us up with Mike? We're going down to Disney in a month. No. No, I cannot hook you up with Mike. You only want to be Mike's friend because of my, what Mike can do for you. That's what we do. We have selfish motives. We, we don't do that for the poor guy. Man, that guy's got nothing. I wish I was his friend. We don't do that. We want their stuff. We want their their power because they might be able to influence a situation for us. We want their position because they might have an opportunity for us. And we want their stuff so that we can enjoy it as well. We want to be their friends. But we not only discriminate based on on their social standing and things that they have, we also discriminate on how people look and how they dress. We look at people with tattoos and piercings, big gauges in their ears, and we go, man, they have absolutely nothing to offer us. They're rebels. They're punks. They couldn't have anything intelligent to say. So we discriminate. We discriminate on on people because they choose to sag their pants or they choose to wear clothes that are shredded or they choose to wear all black. They're Thetan worshipers. That's what they are. (laughs) We discriminate. Another way we discriminate is by age. We look at young people and don't find any value in them, so we shoo them off. We don't include them in our lives. The early church was just as guilty of this. Jesus is out preaching, and the disciples are shooing away kids and families who are trying to get their kids to Jesus. And when Jesus sees it happen, he says, no, no, no. Bring the young people to me. 
Let me put my hands on, me, on them. Let me bless them. Jesus welcomed them all, no matter what age they were. And this still happens in our churches today. In churches all across America, you'll show up there with your kids, and they say, listen, kids are more of a disturbance to what we're doing. And so we've got child care provided in the back. And when they talk about child care, they're not talking about somebody's back there teaching them about Jesus. They're just making sure that these kids are safe and having a good time. But that's why we as a church, that are, in our programming, we have specific, appropriate, age-appropriate environments where our kids can connect with God because we value that. We think it's important that our kids have the opportunity to know Jesus from a very young age. In fact, we go, we go even a step further. We take those kids, and once they graduate from our kids' ministry, it's what we just did this past week. We had a party for them, celebrated them, and there's like seven or eight kids in Growth Track right now. Growth Track is what we set up to help kids, help people understand God's plan and purpose for their life because we believe that our kids have a plan and God has a purpose for their life. They can be used to make an impact. They can be used to make a difference in other people's lives, no matter their age. They can be a part of what we're doing. And at that age, we also believe that they can be in here on Sunday mornings with us. We don't need to cart them off somewhere else. Why? Because I preach on a level that they can understand, and I do that intentionally. If we're gonna talk about a difficult concept, I wicka, 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 break it down. <laughs> so that the teenagers can understand and they can apply God's word to their life too. God cares about them too. They're struggling. They're, let me tell you something. If you aren't aware of it, our students are, study, are struggling in school in ways that you and I never did. They're facing temptations and are exposed to so much that you and I never even understood and, and could even imagine. We discriminate based on age. Paul encouraged Timothy because Timothy was being discriminated because of his age. Timothy was one of Paul's spiritual sons, and he said, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, the way you talk, in conduct, the way you live your life, in love, the way you love other people, in your faith, how much you trust in God, in your purity. These are the ways that you can be an example. And young people, if you're in this room, listen to me. You can lead the way for the adults in your life. You can do it. You can lead the way for the teachers at your school. You can lead the way for the bus driver. You can lead the way for your neighbors. You can do it. Just because you're young doesn't mean you can't have an impact. You can do it. You're not too young to lead. You're not too young to be in a grow group. You're not too young to serve and make a difference in people's lives. We want to include you. But we discriminate in so many ways socially. Second way we discriminate is spiritually. Man, we draw lines, don't we? That's so why we have these things called denominations. We have denominations, different groups of churches that believe different things. Some of them are even like, hey, listen, if you don't believe what we believe, you're going to hell. That's where you're going. You're going to hell. You play that music in your church, you sing songs like that, you're going to hell. I don't know why I keep saying it that way. <laughs> That's where you're going. That's why as Simple Church, we're like, listen, we don't need to get caught up in all that stuff. Caught up in the preferences or stylistic choices of how a church plays out. We don't need all that. We want to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is that Jesus saves and that salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. That's why in this church, right now, in this church, we have a, a, a massive amount of diversity. 
We have Catholics. If you grew up Catholic, raise your hand. Let me see you. If you grew up Baptist, raise your hand. If you grew up Lutheran, raise your hand. If you grew up anything else, raise your hand. Yeah, it's all over the place in this room because we keep the main thing the main thing. We don't want to argue about the little differences that you want to argue about in the Bible. We don't want to create a circle that says if you don't talk like us, if you don't walk like us, if you don't believe like us, you can't be included. In fact, you're going to hell. <laughs> that's just that's not what we want. We don't want to have a circle. In fact, Jesus's ministry was all about reaching outside the circle, finding the people who were outsiders, the people that were rejected. And loving those people. One of the greatest stories of this is the story of a guy named Zach. Zach was, was, or as he's known in the Bible, Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. I'm just singing the words to a verse from a Sunday school song, if you all grew up with that. And Zacchaeus was a, a tax collector. Now, you need to understand historically what that means. Zacchaeus was somebody who sided with the Roman government. He was a Jewish guy who sided with the Roman government. See, the Roman Empire was oppressing the Jewish people. And they said, we need somebody local to collect the taxes for our government. And so Zacchaeus signed up for that. He took a job with the enemy. That made him, among his own people, a traitor. The other thing Zac was, was a thief. Because the tax collectors would go to you and say, hey, you owe this much. But they would always add a little bit to it. And so they would take whatever they wanted from you because they had the full authority of the Roman Empire and you had to give it to them. So not only did they collect the taxes for the Romans, but they took a whole bunch off the top that didn't belong to them. So tax collectors were traitors and thieves. They were hated amongst the Jewish people. In fact, they considered them dogs. And amongst the Jewish leaders, the pastors of that day, they had two brackets for the worst people, sinners and right below sinners was tax collectors. They, they, would, they would accuse Jesus. He hangs out with thinner than tax collectors. Look at him. So Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And Zach heard that Jesus was coming through Jericho where he was at. And he wanted to meet him. But he was a short guy with short man syndrome. So Zacchaeus climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looks up in that tree, and he says to Zacchaeus, hey, Zach, come down. I'm going to stay at your house. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Jesus said, hey, Zach, I want to kick it with you, bro. Let's go turn on some, some ESPN. Let's get some buffalo chicken dip and watch the game, man. I just want to hang with you. And Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly. Just as a side note, do you guys know that lost people respond this way? No, seriously. If you were actually interested in having an authentic relationship with them, they would respond positively to the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. If you actually cared about them and spent time with them, kick it with them, watch the game with them. That was just for free. It's not really part of my message today. but So, so he says, all the people saw this, that Jesus and Zach... We're going to hang out. And they began to mutter. Anybody ever met somebody who mutters? Just constantly talking to themselves, shaking their head. Well, I just can't believe. Can you? Th- I, I just don't understand what they say. How can they? Oh, did you see who Pastor Aaron was out with on Friday night? Doesn't he know who they are and what they've done? I just can't believe he knew who they were. He would not be sitting with them. They're thinner. People that mutter and talk to themselves. 
And they looked and they said, he's gone to be with the guest of a thinner. Talking to themselves over Jesus hanging out with this tax collector. People do this all the time. Can you believe what they're wearing to church today? Can, I, that person's got the nerve. To, I know where they were last night. I know who they were with, and I know what they did. How dare they come in here and sit in church? Aaron, don't you know who they are? Look at them. That's just an abomination to God. How can you let them come into your church? I hear this all the time. In fact, we got a review recently. Somebody came to our church and, and posted a review about us. Now, to protect their anonymity, let's just call her Tammy. Tammy. Tammy said this about our church. Well, I went there and it was dark. They had lights. It reminded me like a, it was like a discotheque. It reminded me of my days in the club. And I went there and there were people in there. This church is a joke. They don't love Jesus. There's people in there on their phones because it's okay. Somebody just held up their phone. I'm on my phone right now. They're in there on their phones, and they can't even be that committed to be on their phones, to be in the church, and they're just not saved. This church is a joke. Don't waste your time. And I'll bet if they, if they could, they probably got a tattoo parlor out back. And in my experience, I come from a business background before I planted a church, and in business, they say when somebody gives you a bad review, you hunt them down and find them. That's not what it says. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> what, you do, what you do is you actually respond with kindness, and you open up dialogue and invite them to come back and invite them to, to chat with you because obviously there was a problem. And so I responded to Tammy, and I explained why we do what we do and that we are a come-as-you-are kind of church, and that sometimes that means that the people who walk through our doors are addicted to their phones, can't put them down because you know that's a thing, Right? Fear of not being able to live the next five seconds without looking at your phone. It's a thing. Some of you are experiencing right now. You can't even hear me. You're just looking. I'm just updating. It's a thing. I said, we love people right where they are, Tammy. That's our job. And you know what? I hadn't thought about it, but I bet if we put a tattoo parlor in the back, more people would come to know Jesus. What? <laughs> and I thanked her kindly for the idea. That's true. It's all online. You can see it. I'm not going to tell you where, but it's there. We discriminate against each other because people don't look like us or act like us in church. They're not the kind of people we think belong in church. And this kind of discrimination creates environments where lost people can't be found. It happens to all of us. And the last kind of discrimination that you might ex expect me to talk about is racial discrimination. We look at somebody that doesn't look like us. Their accent may be different than us. The way they prefer to dress or the way they live their lives is different than us. And we, we withhold mercy. We withhold grace. We withhold favor and honor from them. Do you know that Sunday mornings is one of the most segregated times during the week? At church. We have white church. We have black church. We have Ethiopian church. We have Spanish church. We have all these different kind of churches that reflect our cultural backgrounds, and I, and I understand it for language purposes. If you have a service that is set up for somebody who doesn't speak English, I understand that. I'm not, I'm not discriminating. 
But I, I meet with people who say, listen, I would really love to come to your church, but I'd like to be around more people that look like me. And I'm like, and I want people that look like you and look less like me to be around here. That's real conversations that I have. You got a lot of white people up in your church, Aaron. I know. They won't leave. I can't. I'm just kidding. I don't want, I don't want, I'm just, I don't want you to leave. I'm glad you're here. But I, I'm also glad when there's a lot of people that don't look like me. Because let's be real. Jesus died for all humanity. He died for all races. He died for all skin colors. He died for every skin tone, every physical trait. Jesus died for them. And here's the thing. Can I help you with something? If you're sitting here right now and you would identify yourself as a proud racist, you may want to reconsider this whole heaven situation because they're all going to be there. They're going to be there in heaven with you. You might want to go somewhere else. I don't mean to tell you the truth, but our churches need to look like what heaven's going to look like someday, amen? We need to be diverse. We need to look like what, that, what, what heaven will be. This happened in the early church, too. It didn't just, it's not just happening today. This has been the struggle since the beginning. It says, but the, the believers rapidly multiply. This is the book of Acts. This is the first church that developed after Jesus left. The church was growing, and there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. The Jewish people, the Jewish believers, were giving food to the widows of their people first, and then to everyone else. They prioritized their people. This division, this line of discrimination should not have existed, and yet it did. And there was grumblings as a result because they prioritized their own people first. And it should not have been there. There should have been no discrimination in who got the food. But we need to, as the church, lead the way. We need to lead the way here by, by celebrating the differences that are among us. We need to be a church that is full of diversity, that welcomes that diversity, understanding that God loves everyone and that we're all precious in his sight. We need to understand that at its core, discrimination creates division. We get that. Today, this world is full of discrimination. You can't get on Facebook and not find people that aren't arguing over their political ideologies, their racial, the racial tension that exists because of discrimination that is real, the economic discrimination that exists. That tension is real, and we feel it every single day. The early church grappled with this too. But we need to be those who lead the way to end discrimination and bring unity. We do that by modeling the right way to live, and the early church struggled with this discrimination. They, they struggled with the idea of who, who gets to get in on Jesus' gift of salvation, they were like, maybe it's just for the Jews. And so they kept it just for the Jews. They didn't go to the Gentiles, which, by the way, is anybody but a Jew. They just kept it within their people. But God, God gave Peter a dream. Peter was the leader of the Christian church at that time. He was one of Jesus' original disciples. And Peter has this dream, and God tells him, you need to go meet a man named Cornelius. See, Cornelius was, was in another city. He was not a Jew. And he had been praying, God, I just want to know you. 
I just want to know who you are. And so God sends him Peter. Peter preaches the gospel to him. He receives the gospel as a non-Jew. His whole family does. And hundreds are baptized and receive the, the gospel and celebrate that. And so Peter comes back to the, to the church, in the Jewish church, and he says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In other words, we thought we were the favorites. We're just the first ones he told about this. We're not the only ones. He said, in every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. God accepts and loves everyone. And if you fear him and do what is right, you all have the equal opportunity with God, regardless of who you are. So how do we end discrimination? What do we do? How do we fight it? How do we learn to accept everyone and avoid the pitfalls of discrimination? Well, the, the, the chapter in James continues on, and he gives us three things that will help us. In verse 8, he says, yes, indeed, it's good when you obey the royal law as found in scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you guys know this, this verse. It's the golden rule. Treat others as you would have them treat you. Not treat them like they treat you, but treat them like you would have them treat you. And so the first thing that we see that James is telling us is that we need to value people. We need to value people. If we're to eliminate discrimination, we need to do that. We need to learn to value people. Jesus was incredible at this. In fact, there's a situation where Jesus is teaching the people. He's teaching religious leaders. He's teaching the common people. He's teaching his disciples. And in the middle of this, he gets interrupted. And they bring a woman who was caught in the throes of passion committing adultery. That means that she was likely naked. And also, if you can already see it, the discrimination is there because y'all know it takes two to tango, right? And they didn't bring the guy. They covered him and protected him, but they brought the woman out and said, hey, she was caught in adultery. We need to stone her. That's what our law says. You need to kill her. Jesus, what do you think we should do? And so they're trying to trick Jesus because he's out here preaching this love and acceptance. And so Jesus said, hey, whoever's without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And then Jesus does something really weird. The Bible doesn't give us much of a description other than it says he bows down and starts drawing in the ground with his finger. Theologians would tell us that, that what they think Jesus was doing was writing the names of the men that were there that day who had, and the sins that they had committed. Because as Jesus is just on the ground drawing and writing, the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they slowly walked away. Now, I don't want to be part of that, man. I don't, want, I don't want that. I mean, Jesus has got a sense of humor. You can see that, right? Just calling them out and naming their sins. That's what was going on. And so the woman stands there with Jesus alone, and he says, Woman, where are your accusers? And she says, I have none. He says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Now, in this moment, this is Jesus demonstrating a beautiful picture of grace where he accepts her right where she is, right in the middle of her sin. He accepts her and loves her. But he also gives her truth. He says, listen, I'll accept you the way you are, but I'm not gonna leave you the way you are. I'm gonna tell you that if you keep on doing this, you're gonna wind up back in this situation. That this is your moment of grace, but you may not find this again. You need to leave your life of sin. And that's what we do as Simple Church. When we say come as you are, we mean it. We want you to come no matter what your spiritual condition is. In fact, when we pray for the lost to come, God's lost kids to be here, we include the low and the, and the rejected, the broken. 
God, send us the lost, send us the low, send us the rejected. Send us those people that have no place. We'll take them right where they're at, and we'll love them right where they're at. But we're also going to let them know, listen, if you continue to make these decisions with your life, you're going to wind up in a state where you are far from God again. You're going to wind up in a state where you continue to perpetuate this situation. We have to understand that in doing that and loving people where we are, that we're demonstrating a value of people. And that value is not determined based on what they've done. In fact, I'll say it this way. Your value is not determined by what you've done. Your value is determined by who you are. The woman who was caught in adultery, her value was not whether she lived her life perfectly or whether she lived a life of sin. Jesus valued her because of who she was. She was a child of God. And Jesus said she was worth going to the cross for and dying. That's who she was. And your value is not in what you do or what you've done or what you will do, what you're doing now. It's in who you are and you're one of God's kids. Let me help you understand. This is a $100 bill. Now this $100 bill, I'm not sure where it's been. I don't know whose wallet it's been in. I don't know whose dirty pocket it's been in. I don't know what hand has touched it, whether clean or unclean or covered with filth and sickness. I don't know. I don't know what good this $100 bill has accomplished before it was placed in my hands. I don't know what nefarious means it has helped accomplish either. I don't know much about this dollar bill or this $100 bill. But I do know this. I know that no matter where it's been, no matter what it's been used for, that even if I were to crumble this up, spit on it, and tear it, that the value is still what? That's right, $100. Doesn't matter where this has been. It doesn't matter what it's been used for. The value is not found in that. It's still $100. And who wants it? Yeah, see, that's what I thought. Everybody, every single one of you would take it, but this is mine. (laughs) It's the same with us. Our value isn't in where we've been or what we've done. Our value is in who we are. Good or bad, God loves us all the same. We are his kids, no matter what. Jesus died for me. He died for you. He died for all of us because he values us. We need to value people. James continues teaching us the second value. He says, but if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. Ouch, James. He's saying, listen, when we discriminate, it's not just you simply having a preference. When you discriminate, you're sinning. And when you live a life of sin, when you willfully choose a life of sin, when you discriminate, push people away who are different from you, when you deny them mercy, when you deny them favor and honor that you would give to somebody else just because they align with your preferences, it's sin. And so we need to do this. We need to value Jesus. We need to value people and we need to value Jesus. What does that mean? Well, since discrimination is a sin, and if you continue to willfully choose that, it means that When you sin, it leads to a life of separation from God. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. In other words, what you earn for willfully choosing this life of sin is death. That word death is translated, means separation from God. 
In other words, you are separated from his best for your life, which, by the way, isn't all the stuff that he can do for you. It isn't all his stuff. It's him. He's the best thing for your life ever. His ultimate goal is for you to know him. That's the greatest thing you can have, is knowing him. But when we willfully choose sin, it injures our relationship with God. Now, I'm not telling you that because you willfully choose sin that you don't get to go to heaven. That's not my place. I don't get to say that. What I am telling you is that when you willfully choose discrimination, that it separates you from God's best. In other words, it separates you from that answered prayer. It separates you from hearing from him. It separates you from the blessing that he wants to have, give you in your life. It separates you. So you can believe what you want to about people, all you want. You can discriminate. You can be racist, whatever. But understand that you, you limit what God can do in your life as a result. And here's the truth you need to understand. You cannot love Jesus without loving what he loves. You cannot love Jesus without loving what he loves. In fact, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest, what is the greatest law? What is the greatest rule? What is the greatest thing we need to live by? Jesus said, love God with all your heart. Oh, and you're like, duh, that's an easy one. Jesus got it. But he says, and. There's not a period there. It says, and. It means that the next thing he's getting ready to say is inseparable. The, one, the first and the second one are combined, and you can't do one without the other. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, you can't love God without loving people, and you can't love people without loving God. They're inseparable. They're just inseparable. If we don't change our perspective about discrimination, about how we love people, it will lead to separation from God. And this is honestly true in every area of your life that you are willfully living in sin. It will separate you from God's best for your life. And I know you don't want that. So to turn the tables on discrimination, we need to value people and we need to value our relationship with Jesus. And the last thing James tells us to do back in our text, verses 12 through 13, he says, so whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you'll be judged by the law that sets you free. James is telling us, hey, there's a judgment day that is coming. There's a day that you're going to have to give account for what you did with Jesus. What did you do with the gifts and the talents that God put in your life? Did you love people? Or did you discriminate and bring division amongst his people? Or did you live in unity? Did you value others? Did you value Jesus? You're going to have to give an answer for that day. Verse 13 says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. Are you all hearing this? But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. That's a sobering thought. That someday you'll stand before God and the measure that he, that he judges you by will be the amount of mercy that you gave someone else. That if you remain unmerciful in your life towards others, that he will be unmerciful towards you. But if you live your life a life of mercy, where you give it indiscriminately, that God will give it indiscriminately to you. Because I'm going to tell you, the last thing you want is to get there to face God and have him look at you and say, I don't like you. I don't like the color of your skin. I don't like what you did. You withheld mercy and so will I. You don't want that. And because we want God to be merciful to us, we need to learn to value 
mercy. We need to value people, value Jesus, and value mercy. Because listen to me now, salvation is free. God's grace and his mercy, he gives to you freely because he loves you. But that isn't the end of the story. When God gives his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness to you, he expects you to turn around and give it to others. Otherwise, he will refuse to continue to give that to you. He expects you to be a recipient of it and a conduit of it. That you receive it and you pour it out to others. So don't be judgmental. Don't discriminate based on someone's social status or their spiritual condition or the color of someone's skin. Don't judge them. Because if you do, you'll be judged by the same standard and you don't want that, I promise you. In fact, let me help you understand. When you judge people, you're judging people from your perspective. You're judging people from your own understanding. You're judging people from how you see it. You're not judging from God's perspective. You're judging selfishly. That person that cuts you off, that you raised your fist and your finger to, and you swore at. That person that may have cut you off maybe did that because they're in a rush to get to the hospital. Their loved one is dying and they're going to say a final farewell. You don't know. And here you are cursing their name because they inconvenienced you in a moment. Or that mom, that screaming kid in Walmart, from your perspective, they're infringing upon your time of peace. But you don't know that that mom, she spent her teenage years in a home that was ravaged by divorce, drugs, and addiction. And she was raped every day of her life. And as a result, she went looking for love in all the wrong places. Found it with any and every man that would give her attention, and she wound up with three kids from three, three different men. But as a result of her erratic life and the brokenness that she experiences in her life, she can't hold down a job. She's down to her last $20, and she's at Walmart trying to figure out how to buy groceries for her and her three kids that week. She's considering the end game. You don't know that. You don't know that the last thing on her mind is her screaming kid because she's worried about how she's going to make ends meet. And I think if we knew that, I think if we were willing to give mercy regardless, that when that person cut us off, we pray, God, I don't know what's going on in their lives, but I pray that you bless them. And that woman's got a screaming kid we walk up and say, ma'am, is everything okay? That we would take a moment out of our day and act selflessly. To hear her story. And I guarantee you, if you heard her story, you'd say, ma'am, let me buy groceries for you. Why don't you come have a hot meal with me? Why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? Let me introduce you to a community of people who will love you regardless of where you've been. Why don't you let me introduce you to Jesus? See, I think if we had God's perspective, everything would change. We'd be merciful. But we don't always have the luxury of his perspective. That's why we must choose to value people, to value Jesus, and value mercy. I mean, what would our lives look like? What would it look like at home? 
If the next time your kid came in and had an attitude, you took a moment to listen. Why are they acting out? To understand. What would it look like on the job when your boss is screaming at you and instead of you screaming back, you take a moment to pray for them? What would it look like in your city and in your community if you freely gave mercy and grace? You valued people and you valued differences. What difference could you make as a result? Let's pray. Father, today, God, I pray that you would just forgive us for our discrimination. I pray that in this moment, Lord, I know discrimination takes on so many different forms, and I pray, God, that right now you would just convict us of every form of discrimination, that you would search our hearts, God, that you would put in us a clean heart and a right spirit, that you would forgive us for discriminating against people, for withholding mercy from them, for judging them. Lord, convict us of attitudes. Convict us of hate and of favoritism that we display towards some and refuse to give others. We need you to do this work in our lives, God. Now, as we continue to pray, there may be people in this room right now that you were discriminated against. Maybe it was by a, a Christian. Maybe it was by a pastor or a church leader. But somebody looked at you and told you you didn't deserve God's grace. They told you you weren't worthy of a relationship with him, that you could never find that until you cleaned yourself up, until you started living right, because you were living in thin. And if somebody's discriminated against you today, told you that you could not know God's grace and God's mercy, on behalf of them, I offer you a humble apology. And I ask you to forgive us if you've been told that that's the case, let me tell you that is the biggest lie that the devil has ever sold. That you're not worthy. You are. God loves you. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what you did last night. He knows what happened last night and he still loves you. He wants you to know him. You do that by accepting Jesus. You have a relationship with God restored by receiving what Jesus did on the cross. That's just forgiveness. By placing your faith in him, saying, Jesus, I'm going to live the way you tell me to live. We call this making him Lord of our lives. I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a moment. And if you wanna take this opportunity to make Jesus Lord of your life, to receive God's grace, won't you join me in that prayer? And if that's you, if you're here and you wanna do that, would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me. Do that now, just raise it up, that's me. Yeah, that's awesome, I'm proud of you, that's awesome. Awesome, love it, love it, it's great, proud of you. Put your hands down now, that's great. Anybody else? Listen, church, let's pray. Let's pray out loud. Nobody prays alone. Jesus, I need you. I need your love, and I need your grace. Forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. Show me how to live for you, and I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.